this is the Christian standard of leadership. He says to Peter, essentially, if you can't accept me as a servant, then you will never see me as savior because I chose to come and serve people. Welcome to the Awakening Podcast. On today's episode, Pastor Jordan teaches us on Jesus, the servant, and how we can take on his nature as Christians. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Let's receive the word together. Today, I wanna speak to you about Jesus, the servant. Jesus shows us how to lead, and it is through the life of a servant. Will you open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2? Should be a Bible right in front of you if you want to grab that. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read a couple verses together. This is going to set the framework for, uh, for all that we're going to talk about today. Philippians to 5 through 11. I won't move on till I hear pages no longer rustling, which I love, because it makes me feel like I'm still in New Life Worship Center in 1994. <laughs> I love the sound of pages rustling. It's awesome. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The Bible says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, let's make that confession with all of heaven. We thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord of all. And today, I want to speak to you from this context that if Jesus is to be your savior, then you must receive his nature. And his nature is that of a servant. Come on, let's pray together. So God, right now, we open our hearts and our minds to you. God, we have no other agenda. There's no other reason that we are here except for you, Jesus. So Lord, will you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit? We open our minds and our hearts to you, Lord God and we invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister. Lord, we desire to be like you more and more every day, so will you reveal just what you're like as we follow you. In the mighty name of Jesus, come on, all God's people said. Amen. Come on, all God's people said. Amen. amen and amen. Jesus, the servant. Jesus, the servant. We see God's great demonstration of what a servant looks like when he's coming to the end of his ministry, of his time here on planet Earth. We know it as the Last Supper. Jesus gathers all of his disciples together on that night, and he celebrates Passover with them in the place called the Upper Room. And he gathers them together, but he does this amazing thing. And, and I believe he waits until this moment to do it, 
because you do the things of most significant towards the end of your life. You're not, you're not doing frivolous things when you know your time is very limited. And so Jesus is saying, this is the, the end of the end, and I'm going to do the things that matter the most. And so what does he do? He gathers his friends together, his closest disciples, and he shares a meal with them. But astonishingly, in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up from the table. The Bible says that he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he gets on his knees with a bowl of water, and he begins to cleanse the feet of his disciples. This was a ritual cleansing that would, that would happen when you gathered in the Middle Eastern culture and when you had dinner together. But you got to understand, this was a shocking act of service. Because here is the master of the universe, puts on a towel, kneels in front of people. That would be like, that would be like us becoming ants and serving ants. The distance is beyond. And, and then even more than that, he takes a bowl of water and he washes their feet. For some of you, that, that would be worse than others. <laughs> and, and, and as he's doing this, Peter, of course, reacts in horror. He says, Lord, certainly not. You can't do this, Lord. Because, because Peter understood that this was what that, that this action was reserved for the lowliest of servants. That the people in the great household that mattered the absolute least, they were the ones that washed the feet. Not the rabbi, not the master, not the king, not the son, not the light. No, no, it's, this is reserved for people, Peter's even thinking, below me. I mean, at, at the most, at the most, the disciples should have washed their rabbi's feet. And yet here's the rabbi washing the disciples' feet. This is, this is upside down. And Peter, such a truth teller, he can't handle it. He's looking around. You guys aren't going to say anything? All right, I'll say it. No way, Lord. Certainly not. You can't do this with me. But, but then Jesus responds, and he says to Peter, unless I wash you, then you have no part in me. Unless I wash you, then you have no part in me. This is the gospel right here. Unless Jesus washes us, then we have no part in Jesus. Your good works can't wash you. Your, what you produce can't wash you. Your fruitfulness can't wash you. The Bible says your righteousness, all you think is good, is like dirty rags before the Lord. We have absolutely nothing to present to him. And yet here's the king who chooses to serve those that should be serving the king. He flips the whole narrative upside down. The Bible says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's showing the disciples, this is what this looks like. And when Peter says no, he says to Peter, unless I wash you, unless you let me do this, then you have no part in me. Why? Because Jesus is showing this is what it is to be a Christian leader. Jesus is setting the standard. At the most important moment, you are called to serve each other. And I'm going to show you by washing you. And I love Peter's reaction. He says, then, if that's the case, then wash me all over, Lord. Wash my head, wash my hands, wash everything. Peter's so over the top. Jesus is like, will you chill? I don't need to do all that. Read it. It's Jordan's translation, but it's in there. He said, if you're clean, I don't need to wash you again. I'm doing this for what it represents, what it means. I'm, I'm trying to show you this is the Christian standard of leadership. 
And he says, to, he says to Peter, essentially, if you can't accept me as a servant, then you will never see me as savior because I chose to come and serve people. And then he says this to them, and he says it to us, and he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Go and do likewise. He's, he's essentially saying, this is what I've called you to do. This is what it looks like to lead, to serve all with your life. The Bible talks about judgment day, the end of time, when Jesus returns, and now he, he, he's recognizable. He comes with the mighty army of heaven. The Bible says that his throne will come upon the earth, and he will rest on his throne. He comes in might, and he comes in power. And on judgment day, he comes to evaluate us. Right. And the evaluation is based off this one thing. What did you do to serve me? Did you follow in my model? The Bible says that he separates half the sheep and the other half the goats, the acceptable from the unacceptable, the saved from the unsaved, the righteous from the unrighteous, really the graced from those that rejected grace. And he comes before the people and this is what, this is how he evaluates who should be on what side. He sets a standard saying, what did you do as a servant in my footsteps? And to the, to the sheep, he says, come and inherit my whole kingdom that I've reserved for you. He says, because, because when, I was, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And the Bible says all those on that, that right hand of God would say, wait, Lord, when did we do this to you? I think I would have remembered this. When did I serve you like this? When did I do all of these things? And then the Bible, he gives us the revelation. The Bible says, and then the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The divine order of the kingdom recognizes the least as the most important. This is how God's value system works. He comes for those that are forgotten, that are distant, that are not valued by the world, that, that are a long way off, that are seemingly overlooked. God says, that's exactly where I am. And if you want to find me, that's where you have to search. I'm among the least. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Because I am here to upend the old order of how things work. One time he's at a, he's at a, a banquet and he's at the, the ruler of the Pharisee's house, at an important man's house. And when all of the disciples and the people who were invited, when they arrive, they all jockey for position. They're all trying to get the best seat. They're all trying to make sure they're sitting between the Pharisee and right next to Jesus. And they're all moving. You know, you ever try and pretend like you're not looking for a good seat, but you are, you know? <laughs> You know, or like you go to fireworks and you lay all your stuff out and like, this is my perimeter. This is what they're doing. They're trying to get the best vantage point, the best seat. And Jesus says, hey, you've got this whole thing backwards. So what you should do instead is when you arrive, go to the very least place. Don't, don't position yourself for the place of honor. Position yourself in the least place. Then the host, the master of the house, he will get up 
and he will come and find you and he will lift you up out of the least and he will walk you to the head of the table and he will honor you because you chose to serve. You chose humility. You chose the lowly place, but let the Lord do it. Well, this is difficult for us because we live in a current culture of grandstanding. It's called the influencer culture. Its, its value system is antithetical to the gospel. It's antithetical to the kingdom of God. It, you, you, they will not go together. The whole influencer culture that we live in, that we're a part of, that we find ourselves in, their values are wealth, fame, power, renown. The whole thing is, what can I get and who can I get it from? What can I do? And what can I get others to do for me? But you got to understand that is opposite the kingdom. That is completely different than what Jesus came to set up. And so we find ourselves at odds with everything we see around us. And everyone, we, we find our whole value system totally different where God says, don't go after the greatest, go after the least. Don't chase after wealth, chase after me. Don't be self-motivated, be servant-minded. Well, hold on, God, this is tough to comprehend because we're hearing something radically different from a bunch of other people, our current leaders, influencers, psychological children that are raising our children digitally. And we got to understand that the world that Jesus came to set up is still radically different. The kingdom of heaven is as radical today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's completely different than how the world operates. And this is what Jesus is calling us to and what he's calling us out of. When the world's message is greatness is gained by extravagance, Jesus' message of greatness is this. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's totally different. It's upside down. That in order to serve the king, you have to serve the king's servants. In order to honor the king, you've got to honor his sons and his daughters. Because some people might say, I want to I serve God. I'm called, brother. I'm anointed, I'm appointed, I'm set apart, I'm called. I've heard so many people even say, I want to be blessed so that I can bless the kingdom. I want to be wealthy so that I can bless the kingdom. Can I tell you, the master of the universe doesn't need your wealth. He needs your life. He doesn't need your wallet. He wants your heart. He doesn't need extravagance. He doesn't need gifting. He doesn't need importance. He needs servants. And he needs servants' hearts. And, and this is what the Lord is looking for when he looks down on his church. He's looking for those that are desiring to serve the king, even at great cost. And I pray that we're a church like this. In fact, one of the things that we do, of many, is we have We Heart Lives, which is the action outreach arm of the church. It's the arm of blessing that we seek to extend to the world. Through We Heart Lives, we give away food and groceries. I want you to know, not just because eggs cost $8 million. <laughs> well, I'm about to show up and get some eggs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
I'm finding some chickens. I gotta tell you, I'm getting some chickens. I don't care if my neighbors complain. <laughs> I got kids now. That's essentially like free workforce, you know? <laughs> we give away groceries because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. We give backpacks, we give coats, we give clothes because when I was naked, you clothed me. We, we, we're starting our, our visiting ministries, coming to the prisons and bringing the fathers together with the children and the children with the fathers. I pray that we fulfill that prophecy. I will turn the hearts of the children back to the father and the hearts of the father back to the children. And we're doing it in the prisons with the, the men and the women in their specific circumstances because Jesus says, when I was in prison, you came to me, you visited me. I was just at a, a church conference where the pastor has had phenomenal favor and open doors in California prisons. They're, they've got church campuses in prisons, which I think is the best place to have a church campus if you have to have them, have them in prison. They have worship, they have preaching in prison. And this pastor said that he went to preach to one of them a couple weeks ago. And, and he said, I gotta tell you, it was a tough crowd, you know? Not a lot of amens there. And so he said, well, I'm, I'm just reaching deep and I'm just going. And he said, the whole time there was this big dude right in the middle staring him down, you know? And he goes, I got, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. He goes, I was nervous. This guy did not like what I was saying, seemingly. And he goes, and he could get to me before anyone could come and help, you know? <laughs> and then he felt the Lord say, I, I'm going to give you a word of knowledge. Go speak it over his life. I want you to go pray over him. And he's like, who, you know? <laughs> this guy's got muscles up to his earlobes, you know? So, but by the end of the sermon, I felt, all right, I'll be faithful. And he went up and he prayed for this man. And even as he was praying, God began to speak to the pastor and say, tell him when he was in third grade and that thing happened, I was there. And so he begins to prophesy. When he says that, this big, burly, angry man begins to weep. And all of a sudden, all around the room, the other men begin to weep. And this pastor walks out of this prison, goes through the first gate and gets his ID back, through the second, gets his, his items back. He gets in his car, he's driving home, and he said, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me almost audibly, so clearly. And he said, the Holy Spirit said, hey, thank you for visiting me today. This is what it is. This is what it is to serve. And when you serve people, look into their eyes, because I guarantee you, you'll see your Savior within them. What you did to the least of these, you did unto me. Well, Lord, how do we serve you? What does it look like to serve practically? What does it mean? How do we do it? How do we become a part? And I think sometimes we don't serve because we don't know where to start. Or many times we think we don't have what it takes. We think we have to have a gift, a talent, a birthright, an inheritance. We think we have to be someone of importance. Maybe you even feel like you come here and and you feel like I feel when I go to Catholic church. Everyone's sitting and standing and doing stuff and crossing themselves and repeating in Latin. And I'm like, who? Maybe you are here and you feel like I'm, 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 a, I'm a fish out of water. I don't know what to do here. Everyone here, they're a part of this thing, but that's not me. I feel like I'm lacking. Maybe you don't serve because you feel like you're inefficient or inadequate. And you don't have something to give, even if you wanted to give. Well, do you know that this is exactly where we see Jesus get involved. His very first miracle that he ever did was at a wedding in a place called Cana. They had a massive party and Jesus was just there hanging out. He just showed up <laughs> as a guest. But the problem is they ran out of wine. And even if the servants wanted to serve, they were incapable. 
They lacked resource. They were inefficient. Even if their heart was to serve the guests, they couldn't. Mary, Jesus' mother, figures out what's going on. And she knows in a, in a moment when this is revealed, this family is going to be absolutely shamed. They're never going to live this moment down. So what does she do? She goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, you need to help these people. You need to help them. They've run out of wine and I know you can do something about it. How did Mary know Jesus could do something about it? You know, how did she know? She must have seen some wild things growing up. I know you have... <laughs> you have alchemy powers. <laughs> and do you remember what Jesus said to her? He says, it's not yet my time. Actually, he said, woman, it's not yet my time. Which I don't know if that's like a, a translation issue, but I would just encourage you not to address your mom as woman. Like, unless you're God, don't, don't, I mean, you could try it, but let me know how it goes. I don't think it'll go well. I'm praying for you at the altar. What, what's with the black eye? Well, you preached. <laughs> now I need healing. <laughs> he goes, woman, it's not yet my time. And you know what I love about Mary? She totally ignores him. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic mom, you know? She knows, <laughs> she knows what should be happening right now. Not the master of the universe. You think about it. Jesus has a cosmic timeline for his ministry that's been established since the dawn of creation. And Mary's like, you need to shift that timeline. <laughs> mom knows best. You need to hurry it up here a little bit. And, and then she doesn't even acknowledge what Jesus said. She turns to the servants and she says, hey, come here. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now she's bossing everybody around. <laughs> she had an expectation of Jesus because she knew Jesus. And then she, she turns to the servants and she gives us the key on what it is, how to serve Christ. In the first miracle, here's the key. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Well, we don't have enough. We lack resources. We're inefficient. You don't know who you're dealing with here. And Mary speaks even past those servants to us as servants today. Please hear me. Mary is speaking to you today. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Well, well what, if I, what if I don't have enough? Do it. Well, what if it's difficult? Do it. Well, what if it doesn't make sense? Do it. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. Amen. And I can promise you, if you will be faithful to obey, you will see peculiar miracles in your life. Nobody's ever seen water into wine before, but Jesus came to bring specific, personal, and peculiar miracles. But it takes the obedience of the servants. Can I tell you how we got these 40 acres in a building like this? It was a peculiar miracle that God rested on the faithfulness of servants. God doesn't bless the gift. God doesn't even bless the fruitfulness. God bless the faithfulness. And everything else will follow. The metric of heaven's success is faithfulness. Can you serve? Can you do whatever he asks of you? Because make no mistake, he will resource you. 
He will step in and do the God-sized things if you will just present whatever you have to give. Do you, remember, do you remember another time where they didn't have enough food? Jesus was gathered together with all of the crowds and all of his disciples. People came from all over the country to hear Jesus speak. And they were out in the middle of the wilderness. And the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you tell these people to go home? It's getting late. It's getting dark. We're in the middle of nowhere. And we don't have enough food to feed them. So send them back to villages so, so that they can go buy some food and, and then they can come back later. Do you remember what Jesus' Jesus's reply was to the disciples? He says, you feed them. The disciples went quiet. One disciple spoke up. I like to think it was Peter. He's usually the one speaking up. Lord, we don't have anything. We've been with you the whole time. We, we've got, we don't have enough food. Especially not for 5,000 people. And God says, well, what do you have? And, and one disciple speaks up. He says, oh, I've got this little kid's lunch. You know? Like, like, how did he get this lunch? Did he steal a little kid's lunch? That's my question. I've got this lunch. I think this disciple's brave. They don't even name him almost maybe to protect his identity because it's almost an embarrassing thing. Like, I got, I got some bread. I got a lunch. I got a Lunchable. And you know what's funny is they, they only had one lunch. This is, at least, this is funny to me. There's 5,000 people. Do you know how many moms were in attendance? There's no way there was only one lunch. You know? Those moms came prepared. But they could tell when the disciples were like, hey, anybody have anything? The mom was like, psh, psh, psh. hide the Yeti, hide the Yeti, put it. Only, only one person offered their lunch, I guess is my point. The little kid. And they took it to Jesus and they said, Lord, this is all we have. But see, see, that's all God's looking for is your little, your lack, your less. But you got to give them something to bless. Because see, God works in divine partnership with humanity. He will not just do it by magic. He works through people. This is a principle that he imposes upon himself. I mean, even in creation, he created everything, but at the end, he said, now, Adam, you name the animals. Do you think Adonai couldn't name the animals? Certainly he could, but he says, Adonai is partnering with Adam to complete the work of creation. God uses people, men and women, flawed, weird, inadequate, yes, even sinful people, by his goodness and by his grace, he says, I will partner with you to do something exceedingly and abundantly and beyond what you could ever ask or think or imagine. Imagine, because God is a God of multiplication. He is a God of miracles. He is a God of more than enough. And he loves to do it out of not enough. Because that's where he shows his Godhood. If man could do it, they would have done it. But the disciples can't do it. And that's when Jesus says, watch this. And I'll show you what God looks like when he gets involved. But you got to give me something. Please hear me. You and I, we are called to serve God. And even if we serve him with our lack, God says, bring what you got. Do you have the gift of encouragement? Bring it. Do you have joy? Bring it. Can you encourage people? Bring it. Can, can, can you help lead? Are you organized? Do you play an instrument? Can you show up early? Some people are early birds. We need you here at church. Not this service, I'll talk 9 a.m. service. <laughs> if you've got something, yeah, right. sacrifice, and God will take it, and he'll make you so much more than you could be on your own. That's good. That's good. 
He'll use you in exceedingly and abundantly ways. It's, it's amazing. But he does require something to bless. So when you bring your time, when you bring your willingness, when you bring your, your sacrifice, when you bring your faith, that activates heaven. That's right. And it gets heaven's attention. So my question today is, will you present what little you have? Because God will multiply it. You know, I see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I see it every single Sunday. I see people coming and joining the A-team and bringing their little lunch, whatever they have. And I see God take our little stuff, just our little bit, and multiply it every Sunday. And at the end, there's salvations. At the end, there's miracles. At the end, there's healings. At the end, I mean, you look around, this whole room is packed, packed, packed. But it's because some few bring their little, and God says, that's more than enough. Let's get to work. My presence will come down. The praises will go up and things will begin to happen. But we've gotta be faithful to give, and he will be faithful to multiply. Can you say amen, church? Amen. But the thing I gotta warn you about in this process of following Christ and becoming a servant is the temptation to distraction. This is always something that you are gonna struggle with. And the longer you serve God, the greater this temptation becomes. And the more sneaky the devil becomes with this temptation. The temptation to distraction, to get you off course, to, to, to get you to value something else. And, and, and let, me, let me say this very clearly. Many times it's not sin that becomes a great distraction that I've seen from serving God. I've seen blessing become more of a distraction to people than sin ever was. Because God blesses, and then that blessing takes them out of the community, takes them out of Sunday, takes them out of connection. And eventually that blessing becomes an idol, but that blessing becomes their God. And so you say, Lord, bless me. And God says, believe me, I want to, but I will not bless you if it leads you, me, it leads you away from me. This is so important that even God's blessing can't be a distraction from the true blessing, which is Jesus. He's the prize. You see a man named Nehemiah who lived in Babylon his whole life, 70 years. Israel lost their home. They lost their possession. They were carried off into the enemy's land and they lived in exile in Babylon. But God put it on Nehemiah's heart, go home, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the homes, rebuild the families, and start by rebuilding the wall. Raise protection around my people. So Nehemiah traveled that distance and he began to apply himself, gathering the people to build the walls around Jerusalem. And at first people laughed at him. They mocked him. He said, you can never accomplish this mighty work. But the Lord was with Nehemiah. And the walls began to rise. And right when it was close to their completion, the Bible says that the enemies all around them began to get nervous. And they sent a messenger to Nehemiah and they said, hey, come meet with us. Come down into the valley, down into the plains, and, and come talk with us. Let, let's get together. Hey, let's partner up. Let's get on the same page. And what did they do? They invited him into the valley. Leave what you're doing and let's see how we can connect. Because you know how strong you would be if, you, if we were on your side. Please hear me. This is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to distract you from the divine mission that God has given you to build the things of protection for your family, your community, your church. So the enemy always will give you an invitation down into the valley. The enemy will come and try and get you off the work of God. Come on. Come into the valley of depression. Come into the valley of hurt. Man, 
think the number one valley that many servants find themselves in after serving the house of God for a period of time is the valley of offense. Because they're going to find people in the church that aren't Jesus. They're not. They love him. They want to be like him. But they're still flawed. And if you're not careful, you'll allow an imperfect leader to offend you and draw you out of the great work of Christ. And you get caught in the valley of offense. You say, I did that before. I'll never do it again. I went to that church. Never again. I spoke with a pastor. Never again. And, and you don't understand. You're living low. You're living dark. You're opening doors to all these other things because offense always comes with hatred and frustration and depression and anger and sickness. It comes with sickness as if a sick heart doesn't ever eventually become a sick body or a sick mind. And I'm here to tell you today, there is a great example for us on how we should answer the enemy when he tries to draw us away from the work of the ministry. And Nehemiah's reply is filled with power, it's filled with strength, and it's a model for us. And when he received that invitation to come join with the world, look at his reply. He says, I am doing a great work. I'm not coming down there. I'm doing something important right here. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I'm doing something powerful here. Please hear me. You are a part of a great work. You are a part of the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ. This work is unstoppable. It is the church of Jesus. The gates of hell themselves will bend and buckle and break at the onslaught of the ministry of the bride. As the church moves forward, God backs it, God leads it, God holds it, God makes it. It is all him all the time. We present our little, but God says that's more than enough. Stick with me, I'll rebuild the wall. Stick with me, I'll bring you out of Babylon. Stick with me, I'll bring your family strength. Stick with me and we'll make it matter again. God's good. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want to get caught in distraction. I want to do the only thing that God backs. He says, I will build my church. Well, that's where I want to be, Jesus. Well, we've got too much to do to get caught up and get stuck with the enemy's little schemes. Too many people to save, too many people to help. Too many lives to see changed. Too many signs and wonders needed. Too many miracles. Too much faith is needed for us to get caught up in the approval of man. Yeah. They might say, well, you know, well, what if we, they don't like you? Well, they didn't like Jesus. Well, what if they don't receive your church? Well, they didn't receive Jesus' ministry. I'm not going to try to be unlikable. <laughs> like intentionally. But I'm going to follow Jesus, and whatever may come, may it come. But I won't come down off the wall. We're watchmen. We're builders. We're ministers. Following in the footsteps of the greatest man to ever walk planet Earth. And the good news is God has a mighty work for this church. 35 years we've been building the wall. 35 more. God has a mighty work for this church. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the walls being rebuilt. We're seeing the exiles come home out of the darkness of Babylon. They're coming into Zion. We're seeing God do amazing things in the church. Every single Sunday, 
I mean, right now, people are sitting up against the wall in the balcony, and I know it's hot up there. <laughs> Parking lot is filled. The kids' ministry is having a closed room. It's because they're saying we have too many kids. This is a good thing. Do you know that more people are coming to church right now than were coming before COVID ever happened? We're back. We're back, baby. And even better than that, we are much stronger today than we ever were back then. Our faith is stronger, our prayer is stronger, our worship is stronger, our serving is stronger, our altar is filled. Thank you, Jesus, that he carried us through. It's a miracle that we're here today. They say 70% of churches have closed their doors, not this church. They're wide open. You stand to your feet with me all over this room. And we're call, all called to be a part of this great work. And I feel that God has impressed on my heart the word expansion for the year 2023. We're not done. We're not plateauing. And we certainly are not going back. Do you know the Bible says that any worker that puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is unworthy of serving me? In other words, Jesus says, it's time to get to work and forget the former things. I don't even care if they were good. They were then. This is now. Lord, what do you have for us to do? And so I'm, I'm, I feel impressed to make more room for all those that are coming. More room for the children. More room for, for the signs and the wonders. And so I put it on my heart. In the month of March, March 12th, we're going to launch a third service on Sunday morning. Three opportunities to worship. Three sermons. Three filled altars. But we cannot do this without people that are willing to join the work. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I served before, but I'm just receiving now. Can I tell you what you need to receive is the nature of a servant. Because that's who Jesus is. Yeah, maybe, maybe you say, well, you know, I don't know what to do. Just bring whatever you got. We'll plug you into the right place. And I believe you can't even receive a full revelation of Jesus until you serve. Because that's primary to his nature. I'm hoping that there are a hundred people in this house that say in the next month, I want to be activated to serve the house of the Lord. I want to be like Samuel. I want to be like Solomon. I want to be like David. I want to build and serve the house of the Lord. We need so much more. We need parkers. We need greeters. We need ushers. We need people to serve the kids. We need musicians. We, we need so much more. Because God wants to give us so many more. It's all about souls. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider this question. Lord, where do you want me to serve? Maybe even some of you serve in one service and you say, for a season, I'm going to serve two services. Lord, what do you have for me to do? Because I believe that in this next season, God is going to do peculiar miracles, but we've got to bring whatever we've got to bring. Amen. Whatever he has for you to do, do it. I'm praying that God raises up leaders. I'm praying that God raises up servants. I'm praying that God raises up people in the house. And I'm even praying that all three services grow. All three grow. That God's hand is on all of them. The presence and salvations are there. And I'm hoping that you're going to be a part of it. 
My wife and I, we watched this documentary about uh, how, pe how they run cruise ships. And you know, it's so funny, they showed upstairs on the cruise ship and everyone's hanging and going out to dinner. And then they showed the, the, the floor where everyone's serving and preparing, you know? And it's like sparse and they're like yelling, like, get those mushrooms upstairs, like <laughs> freaking out, you know? And it's like high intensity. And I was thinking like, that's what church is like. Like we're up here during worship, like so good, Lord, so good. Isn't he good? So good. And then like people are downstairs, like get that camera, move that thing. We get people over there, the kids' rooms are full, abort, shut it down. <laughs> Hitting buttons, burp, burp. So it's wild, but we're just up here like, you know. I'm so thankful for those that choose to serve so that we can encounter the presence of the Lord. <laughs> but I want you to know, this is not a cruise ship, this is a battleship. And we're here to do some damage to the enemy. And I hope you'll join the fight. Today, we're gonna have sign-ups right when you leave on your left side, your right side, and the table right before you. I'm gonna ask you to put your name down and, and, and join a ministry. Next week, we're launching a movement course, both services. We, it's a four-week course, it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes, right upstairs in the, uh, in the, the upper lobby. It's, maybe we should call it the upper room. It's the upper room right up there. Go through movement course. At the end of those four weeks, you'll be ready to find an area to plug in. I promise you, your faith will get stronger. You will feel something different. And, and God, will, God will absolutely supply all that you need according to his riches and glory. Jesus said this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Send out more laborers into the field. This is the field of the Lord God. The harvest is coming from all over New England, all over Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Connecticut. But I, we need some people that say, Lord, like you, we're going to labor, we're going to serve, we're going to be unstoppable. Use me, Lord. Amen. We hope that you feel encouraged by this message and that you feel compelled to serve God in the way that Jesus modeled for us. If you're local to Rhode Island, take your faith to the next level and join us on Wednesday nights starting February 1st for Presence Nights. As a church community, we're going to gather at 7 p.m. and pursue God's presence. And of course, we have church services every Sunday. For details on that or anything else, visit awakeningchurch.org. God bless you, Awakening.